inside the post dispatch. Hi, Liz. Hey, Beth. How you doing? I'm good. We still haven't figured out another way to introduce this podcast, so let's dive right in. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we're pretty set right now yeah. on this being the hey, hi. Uh, yeah, how are you? I like it. <laughs> I think it works. Well, let's put it this way. I don't think people tune in to hear us, so I think it's a good preamble to introducing our guests. Definitely. Our guest this week is Dan Neiman. Dan or Daniel? I'm so sorry. We should have asked this I'm, before I'm Dan. we started. I'm Dan. Okay. I, professionally, I'm Daniel, but we're all friends here, so I'm Dan. <laughs> we can pretend that we're all yeah. friends here. Yeah. We're all um, friends here, yes. We hang out all the time. We hang out all the, <laughs> the time. The three of us and all of our listeners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah we're all good friends. Yeah. Um, well, Dan, uh, professionally Daniel, uh, Dan Neiman, you've been with the paper since... 2000 i'm gonna probably 13. butcher this Thir- i was gonna say 13 okay the, the end of december of 2013 i'm very professional i obviously have notes in front of me <laughs> um and originally at the paper up until recently you were our longtime food writer yes i was what do you do now i now am the retail reporter or retail business reporter i i want to i want to think of retail as an adjective I may be okay. wrong there, but I'm the retail reporter in the business section. And you recently wrote about, for example, a clothing boutique up in Florissant. Yes, Edgy Chic Boutique, which is a really remarkable place with the most colorful clothes I've ever seen. It looked really colorful. For women, generally. Well, yeah, generally. Yeah. 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 I'm, a not, lot of, I'm when, not wearing their stuff now. When you hear the word boutique, I think it, you kind of automatically think of a clothing store for women. Yeah, I think it's usually a little bit more common. Um, and so, Dan, tell us, you know, how long has it been now since you've been our retail business reporter? And I know that there are a couple of early columns that really, really hit with with our audience and with readers that I'd love to discuss. Well, I would I've been the retail uh, reporter for a month ish, just, right. just over a month. Yeah. Time flies. It does fly. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And you one of your first columns was about the Cardinals. There's nothing like starting a new beat by writing about one of the most valued institutions in town <laughs> and criticizing their pricing model. Uh, yeah, I, that that I, that took I, that bad. I got more heat from that than I thought I was going to. Um, well, first, silly, silly me. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, tell us kind of what the thesis well, was the, of that column. The, the thesis was that the. Uh, the Cardinals inflict dynamic pricing upon the uh, the great baseball fans of St. Louis, <laughs> and it seems unfair to me. Uh, and I even use the word un-American in my headline, which that that got a lot of uh, uh, f- blowback from. I don't want to say anyone specifically, but let's just call it a local professional baseball team. Oh, yeah. Hey, I mean, it's America's yeah. pastime being, uh, you know, questioned about doing something possibly un-American. What <laughs> that I, what that I may have been a, that may have been a mistake on my part. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I think that is such an interesting topic too, because even though you took it through, as to Beth's point, a local beloved institution, dynamic pricing is not unique to the Cardinals, and it oh, is no, a controversial no thing. It, it, yeah, it's, it's not it's not unique to the Cardinals at all. A, a lot of hotels do it, airlines do it, and of course, you when you have you talk to your friends, you say, "Boy, I sure love the way airlines price their tickets." <laughs> uh, well, I've heard about it with Bruce Springsteen. I guess there's been a particular. There yeah. was, there was uh, an issue with with the boss. He uh, some through some weird algorithm, the uh, the price for tickets for him went up to five thousand dollars for yeah. tickets that's not even all that good. Yeah, like nosebleed tickets were quite expensive. Yeah, uh, the five thousand were on the floor, but not in front. They were sort of in the middle of the floor. Yeah, so I, I do think it's an issue that's affecting not just baseball fans, but you took it through that lens. Uh, and you know, I think. It, in the column, you make some really good points about how 
it changes, and this is true of all dynamic pricing, um, just opportunity, right? Like it's a gatekeeping method to some degree that doesn't allow uh, everyone the same access that they used to have. The, the cards do say that dynamic pricing allows them to charge lower prices for uh, some of the tickets. So by their way of thinking, uh, if you only have $10 to spend, it's only because of dynamic pricing that you can sometimes get a $10 ticket as opposed to how they could have simply priced the tickets $10 to begin with. And it's only for certain games, it's generally every game, every speaking. Every game, every... Oh, well, I'm... No, go ahead. Oh, well, they, the dynamic, dynamic pricing is for every game. Uh, yes. But they, they have the lower prices only for some games if they, if they aren't selling enough tickets. And they have higher prices for And they for have other much games. higher prices. The recently, for example, when the Yankees come to town. When the Yankees came to town, <laughs> the prices were... Uh, uh, I, I, I looked at one seat throughout the year on Fridays. Okay. And the price for the Yankees was almost double what it was against some other teams. And people say that, well, the Yankees are a much better team, although they lost all three games. Uh, <laughs> Had to get that in there. The, people, they think that people want to pay more money to see the Yankees, but and I think people are paying money to see the Cardinals. Yeah. But people did. I mean, the, during the Yankees series, the stadium had its largest audience ever for one of their baseball games. Yes, absolutely. Standing room only the entire series. And good for the Cardinals. They extracted that much money out of that many people. So that's great. <laughs> So what is the argument against dynamic pricing? Other than being unfair and un-American? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> doubling down here on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. I, I already doubled down <clears throat> on a follow-up column. The, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> What's the argument for it? For dynamic pricing? Yes. Well, it's, it's a great way for the Cardinals to make a lot more money. And what's the argument, obviously, that you had against it's, it is it's, that it's unfair and unfair. It's unfair. Yeah. It, if you go to a game, part of the dynamic pricing that, that even my detractors didn't, didn't address, uh, so I assume they agree with me, is you're paying for the giveaways, the free mm-hmm. giveaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have 25,000 bobbleheads, say, Yachty bobbleheads. Uh, they the are first, pretty popular. They're very popular. So a game that has... 25,000 Yachty bobbleheads is going to cost a lot more money than a game that does not. Right. If you're number 25,001, you have paid for that Yachty bobblehead without even getting one. Or if you happen to really dislike Yachty, then you might not even want one. So you're paying for one you don't want. And I could, what, I loved, <laughs> what I loved about the column was your proposal that maybe we pay on the outcome of the game. Yeah, that that seems to me to be fair, and and that is obviously a joke, people. <laughs> but but you know, I would pay more for a game that ended the way that I wanted it to end than for a game that <laughs> left me disheartened. And I, in the column, I use an example of say the team that you love uh, is winning by one run in the bottom of the ninth of two outs, and Tommy Edmond comes in and crushes a two-run home run and just absolutely devastates you, you shouldn't have to pay a lot for that. Right. Obviously, I wrote that column after I saw a game where my <laughs> beloved Cincinnati Reds were, yes, were winning by one run in the bottom of the ninth. What was the reader reaction to that? Because I know that it was an extremely popular column on our website for a couple of days. Well, apparently I'm a socialist and a moron, and I don't understand... Uh, supply and demand, although I mentioned supply and demand three times in the column. <laughs> it, it was generally negative, right? I would say. Some, okay. people, some people thought it was funny, but they're in a distinct minority. And I think that, you know, we hear this, you hear this a lot in this industry, 
for every person who takes the time to reach out with a critical opinion. There's probably five people who agree but aren't going to go to that effort because they agree. Uh, so they're not going to try to kind of wage that war in the comments over email. So I do wonder if, you know, there is this vocal contingent, fair, fair enough, because they're Cardinals fans. Uh, but I do think a lot of people as a general concept, likely disagree with dynamic pricing. Again, it's not just sports that it's affecting. And at a time when gas prices are very high, inflation is making everything more expensive. The idea that a luxury, you know, like going to the Cardinals game is going to also break the bank uh, can't be easy for a lot of St. Louisans. This isn't really a question, but more just kind of, I guess, a comment on dynamic pricing. (laughs) Yeah, I do wonder in a market where fans are less like loyal and there's maybe less community support, I should say. Like in Cincinnati with the Reds? Yeah, where there's more (laughs) fair weather. You know, I think that, or I used to live in San Francisco and the Giants are, uh, fans can be very fair weather when they're Mm. doing well, they're fans. When they're not, they're throwing things on the field. So I do wonder in other cities if this would be questioned a little bit more than it is in a city where the Cardinals are such an institution. Cardinals fans love to question the team generally, especially around the trade deadline, for example. True. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Dan, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the role you play as both columnist and reporter. You know, I don't know if a lot of listeners and readers necessarily understand the nuance of of those two types of writing and work. But could you tell us a little bit about how you what it is and how you approach it? Well, as a reporter, I, I am out to get facts and uh, fairly and, and report uh, on, on what I learn, try to distill all the information I get from all the different people. As a columnist, it's more of an opinion, um, often with a humorous edge in my columns, though not always. And um, it's, it's just me being me and about the subject of retail. And one of them, you went out down to South County Mall. And you you described the vending machines that were yes. there. Yes, uh, the vending machines at South County Mall offer uh, uh, false eyelashes, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, yesterday, as we're taping this, I went to West County Mall for a completely different story, and they also have vending machines with false eyelashes. I, maybe this is a thing now. I don't know. Both both malls are owned by the same company, so maybe maybe it's CBL properties wide. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't imagine buying eyelashes out of a vending <laughs> I did, machine. I did buy them, but I haven't worn them yet. Oh. Did you? No. <laughs> That's the kind of humor you can expect to see in my columns. I have never worn glasses. I don't wear contacts. And the idea of having to touch that close to the, like my eyes really freaks me out. So I support uh, those who use the vending machines, but I cannot be a customer. I was going to ask you, you mentioned you've been to a second mall. Uh, I grew up by South County Mall in the 90s and the early 2000s. It was as busy as any mall in the region. And having been somewhat recently, I can say that that is no longer the case. Uh, It does seem like West County Mall has fared better. But, you know, kind of as you enter into this retail space, is that an area that you're going to take a look at? I was. Yes, it is. Uh, West County Mall surprised me that I don't think I saw a single space that was open. There are three open and two open now in the food court, but I don't remember seeing any retail space. But I'm sure they have one or two, but it's very, very well occupied. That's surprising because even like Galleria last Galleria, time. Frontenac, everyone is, everyone is hurting. West County Mall is pushing on like it's the 80s. Wow. Frontenac. Yeah. I don't know that I've been to Frontenac. I went to see a movie there once 
And I think that may have been one of the few times I've ever gone into Frontenac Mall. And how long have you lived in the St. Louis area? I grew up in the St. Louis area. Uh So So about 30 years? 40 years. (laughs) I have only gone to Frontenac for movies and to browse at Sur La Table before movies, but I cannot afford Sur La Table, so I didn't make a purchase. They closed a couple of years ago. Oh, well, there you go. That's how long it's been for me. Liz and I are definitely South County Mall. (laughs) Yeah, I was a a Crestwood Mall. You know, that was the place to go when I was in middle school, but South County was closer to my house, so it's where our family went. Crestwood Mall is closed now, so you can't visit. I, it. Yeah, I, I don't know Crestwood yeah. Mall. Sorry, no, but that was where I saw Whitey Herzog. That's my Crestwood Mall story. But it's really inter- it is interesting to me to think about these spaces that you know it's just like anything else that the way that the internet has changed how we shop, you know made malls so much less of the hub that they used to be and you really can see that i think at south county i mean i have a um a family member who works at the victoria's secret uh mm-hmm. at south county mall and it sounds like soon she might be transitioned to another store because of the you know demand at say like a west county versus south county um so i'm curious if you know you'll delve into how these spaces can maybe be transitioned from what they used to be uh, to not just being totally dead real estate, because that's another you know kind of big problem. Well, oddly, uh, when is this when is this going live? Today or tomorrow? Today or tomorrow? Excellent. Uh, oddly, I have a story running uh, tomorrow, which would be Thursday, uh, about West County Mall, which is why I was at West County Mall. They have an open spot in their food court, and they are renting it out or leasing it out on a one week basis as a pop up eatery. Oh, cool. Where That's if cool. you have a food truck and you want to try selling it to, at a, in a mall, uh, or if you're in, say, Metro East, you want to see whether your, your food will sell well in, in West County, you can, you can lease the place for a, a week. It's got all, everything you need, a complete uh, commercial kitchen, and see how you're doing. There's a donut store there now called Yogi Donuts. They're doing very well. It's a food truck, and they're, yes. they, um, you guys have like, me you a donut. They sell mini donuts, fresh made. So, of course, you smell oh, the fresh gosh, made yeah. donuts all across <laughs> the, the food court. It's wonderful. And they're doing, they're doing very well. So, that's a great example of West County Mall. This, this is the first one in the, in the city, the first one in, in the CBL Properties uh, Empire, and possibly well, you can lease a space like this. That you can okay. do it for in the food court, yes. Right, okay. And possibly the first in the country. I don't know. Uh, but it's uh, there. They saw the space. They they came out with an opportunity, and they're they're making money. It's the the customers are happy. The people renting the place are happy. It's it seems like a great idea to me. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's yeah. really smart. I mean, I think that kind of um, vision to invest in local business owners, small business owners, you know, could be one solution to the to malls where they might have national retailers drawing back stores, going out of business. You know, how do you get small business owners in, in the community interested in being in that space? And to your point, to also keep as many of the retail and food court spaces populated as possible. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think uh, local is probably the way to go for the malls. I don't know if it'll work. Yeah. A month ago, I was writing about food. <laughs> True. Well, I do think you this are is a, still a little bit. I mean, well, I, donuts there are there are food. Yes, donuts is food and it's retail. So there there is some crossover there. Yeah. See, so it's yeah. not completely unfamiliar. Not yeah. Completely, well, no. tell us about that transition because you know this is a, a jump from that. Uh, yes. But you're very familiar with food, so I'd imagine that when you go to talk to someone who runs a donut food truck uh, and is now doing this new concept in the mall. 
as a pop-up, you know, you can take some of that knowledge about the product and be able to have that, you know, a conversation with this business owner that maybe someone without that food background wouldn't be as comfortable in. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can talk to people about food. Um, so all, all the food, my food retail stories will be better informed than my non-food retail stories yeah. for the time being. And we have a lot of food retail to cover in St. Louis. We, we do, but I don't want that to be the primary focus of my, of my beat. I need to cover everything, that, everything that's sold to, con- to consumers. True. Can you tell you, I haven't had lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be trying to focus on like locally owned stores, do you think? For example, that boutique in Flores? That... Oh, no, not necessarily. I, I plan to do local, national, regional. Okay. Everybody. I'm covering the uh, the big corporations that manufacture stuff here in town that are sold to consumers as well. Right. Yeah. Another yeah. recent story of yours that really, um, I think, hit with our audience and certainly stuck with me was, I think you developed it with Katie Call, talking to local business owners about the effects of flooding. And the story opened with a vignette that I, I think that you developed um, with Charlie Downs at Sugar Fire. Developed is, is wrote. <laughs> Whenever there's a co byline, <laughs> it's called, always kind of like. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was I. I did write that part. In fact, yes, uh, I I just called uh, the Sugar Fire folks because I knew that they'd been flooded uh, by the recent floods and asked them how things were going. And he uh, was kind of sad, but he was very descriptive. I didn't. Yeah, I, did, I didn't get out there to quote. see that. I I did go to see uh, several of the other places that I wrote about, and Katie also went to several places that she wrote about in that same story. I don't remember if it was that business, but a couple of of businesses that other reporters may have talked to were talking about kind of this double whammy. First you have the pandemic, and now we have this flooding. And then some of them flooded again two days later. Right. Mm -hmm. So how are they reacting to that? What are they doing? Uh, there were no tears, surprisingly, that I that I saw. They're just slogging through. They, mm-hmm. You know, it's, they, they think this stuff has to be done. Uh, at the time, many of the places I talked to thought they had insurance. And there's very specific types of insurance that cover this. I did talk to a woman who owns an insurance agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did not have flood insurance because she just got the agency a year ago. And, you know, she had limited amount of money to spend on it. So it's it's kind of ironic, I suppose, that uh, an insurance agent wouldn't have flood insurance on her company. Fortunately, she just lost desk furniture, right, and and some marketing materials. So she'll be okay. You know, it is something I don't have flood insurance. Yeah, we elected to have it only because um, my husband was scarred from a childhood flood at a childhood home, <laughs> and uh, all of his toys, all of his Ninja Turtles were ruined. Oh, no. So when we bought our home, uh, that was a key thing since we knew we were going to finish our basement, or you know, it was a finished basement, we were going to complete it. Um, but yeah, I mean, to Beth's point, that is, if you haven't had that experience, necess- you wouldn't necessarily think I should opt for this. It's not included, and it can be very expensive. It, it, yeah, it seems like like uh, like it's w- worth taking the risk, I suppose, for a lot of people. We do not have flood insurance at my home either, nor earthquake insurance, which is probably more necessary for where we live. I would imagine that as there's more recovery, and unfortunately in the forecast, more rain, uh, in the next couple of weeks, that that is a story that you and the the business team will follow the effects of this on local businesses or all businesses. Uh, well, I hope not. Um, <laughs> oh I, yeah, I hope not too. <laughs> I hope the skies remain nice and clear. Hopefully, yeah. Um, one of the things that I always find intriguing when a reporter switches a beat, I know that there's a transition there. Are you coming up with a lot of your own ideas for stories or are editors still kind of feeding you, hey, we got this tip, why don't you see what's going on? Or is uh, it a bit of both? Actually, I don't think 
a single editor has fed me a single story, I don't think. Oh, wow. Well, there we go. But I wrote it. My very first column for retail was saying, hi, I'm new to retail. I hate to shop. <laughs> and um, so I'm the perfect person to cover retail. And uh, a, a lot of readers wrote in, uh, readers and business owners wrote in and said, hey, you ought to cover these people. Oh, that's great. So that's that's how I learned about Edgy Chic Boutique was just from someone who's not even a customer, I don't think. She just lives in Florissant and just loves the store. Yeah. And is proud great. of the store. And, and I've heard from several people. So, so far, I'm still going through that list. Did you get a I lot can... of people who said, I also hate to shop? <laughs> no. No, because no. My, I have some family members who cannot stand shopping. I'm with them. <laughs> I think people who don't like to shop probably don't read retail stories. Oh, that's probably true. It might. I, I'm not sure. But I heard from a lot of people as a food writer who don't like to cook, who liked my who liked my food stories. So yeah, I, I was going to say. I think it depends on what the topic is, right? Because to your point, retail is so broad and it covers so many different industries that what might might make one person's eyes glaze over could make another person super excited, even if they don't personally enjoy, say, making donuts at home. I was going to say, you said <laughs> glaze. That made me think of donuts. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's bad. Yeah. Bad, bad. Uh, clearly, you can tell where my mind is at. <laughs> All right. Next time we tape, we're taping after lunch. <laughs> but uh, I do think that's a good point. You know, uh, what lights you up maybe as a reporter might be more of that covering a restaurant or covering, you know, uh, food producers because that's your background. Um, but have you found any kind of surprises in the coverage you've done outside of that space so far? Oh, yeah. I've uh, Yeah, I've I've found uh, that if, you, if, if the story is interesting, the people are interesting, I'm interested in it. So far, I've been actually interested in everything I've, I've written about. There's a company in Fenton and uh, with a couple of uh, satellites in, in Illinois that makes tool belts and tool vests and tool bags. They're very socially interested. Uh, they're, they're trying to make life better in the small towns where they, where they have located, and they're mm-hmm. looking for more small towns. They're looking to work with uh, incarcerated people in the uh, Illinois prison system. Uh, and they're just wonderful people. They make what seem to be excellent tool vests. I'm not a fix-it type of guy. <laughs> and I, 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 have, I do have a few tools in a, in a plastic uh, box, but uh, they make really great stuff. I want to get their tool bag. Uh, it's just it's fine stuff. It's all hand sewn, and that that excited me. There's a there's a guy that uh, designs artistic stoles and vestments for ministers to wear locally, oh, cool. and he sells them all around the world. And um, I have never in my life given so much as a single thought to any part of that. But he's a fascinating guy. They make. Uh, excellent material. They make excellent things. And that story was, was very interesting to me because, um, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, finish. Uh, well, your it was it was interesting. I, I just I, I I liked him. I liked the people. I I, I thought it was kind of fascinating. He's he's doing well in the nichiest niche I've ever heard of. Absolutely. Well, and I think that kind of speaks to you. Kind of said this earlier. Um, behind every story is a personal story, right? Why someone got into something, how they make something, how they do the work that they do. And I, I don't know, I feel like that's just the basics of reporting. You know, it does draw you in. It's especially to me, if I don't know anything about a subject, more interesting to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I well, I I have been a features writer for ever since I was 12. Uh, and so, <laughs> we gotta talk about so that a, next. a lot of these are a lot of these are features stories that I'm writing. And um, the the more hard reporting stories are probably less interesting to me, but they're they're necessary. Yeah. 
earnings reports, for instance. <laughs> I've been doing some earnings reports and, you know, people need to read it and I'm happy to provide it, but it doesn't give me a thrill. I think they're a bit of a unnecessary... Not even. evil, exactly. But no, I mean, not evil. No, <laughs> that's why I paused there. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, nece- they're absolutely necessary. And, and now I know more about the inner workings of Energizer Corporation than I ever did before. So. I did enjoy your Energizer headline, though, because I think you said charges in the headline. Oh, yes, I did. Yes, it one charges. of those little puns that I enjoyed. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, Thank of, you for catching that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, going back to being a feature writer since you were 12, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background before joining The Post in 2013? Um, my, uh, sure. I've <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like putting you on the spot, huh? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm on the spot. I just, I was, I, you had me at 12. I started writing about, I started writing for my high school newspaper in seventh grade. I went to a school that was six years, seven through 12. And... I was just always a features writer, and when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I was seeing an awful lot of movies, (laughs) and um, I could go into a long explanation for that, but I'm not going to, but I was seeing, I I, I saw an average of 140 movies, 140 to 145 movies a year while in in college, so... um, I, uh, I I took a lot of film courses from a well-respected film theorist. I uh, did not make movies, but I, I studied them academically. And by the end of college, I'd always always interested in journalism, uh, having grown up in the Watergate era. I thought, well, journalism, movies, I know a lot. I have great taste. I think I'll become a movie critic. So I became a movie critic. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's ah, my, my secret background. 27 years as a movie critic in... Texas and Richmond, Virginia, and then... Do you have a favorite movie? Of course. And it is? Oh, I didn't think you were going to ask. It's Casablanca. (laughs) Mm, Okay. With My top 10 list has about 200 movies on it, but I have lots and lots of of movies that follow, but Casablanca is probably number one, followed closely by Wizard of Oz. Is there one reason why it's kind of at the number one slot? Uh, Yeah, it's, it's darn close to perfect. Okay. I don't know how in depth you want to get. No, on I mean, like this, you know, yeah. I, 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 there are two. I can see two flaws in Casablanca. All right. One, the scene where Ingrid Bergman goes to see Humphrey Bogart to ask him for the letters of transit. She pulls a gun on him. Uh, they end up extra friendly that night. She's wearing a uh, a paisley blouse, and she doesn't look good in paisley. And she looks so spectacular in the rest, in all, every other costume. Well, to be that, fair, to me, that's the biggest flaw. You can carry Paisley. <laughs> yeah, well, and the, and the costume designer, whose name I actually don't know, should have realized that. And that's, that's the biggest flaw. The second flaw in what I think of as the greatest scene ever filmed, the Marseille scene, mm-hmm. where the German soldiers, I, don't, I hope everyone's seen Casablanca, the German soldiers <laughs> are Spoiler singing. alert's a little bit late for well, this. Well, it's, really, it's not really a spoiler, but it, you have to know what I'm talking about. The, the German soldiers are singing Wacht am Rhein uh, at, at, the, at the saloon, at Rick's Cafe American, and um, Paul Henry, who is a, an underground leader for the, for the resistance, he comes down the stairs. He, he asks if he wants the band, rather, to play the Marseille. And uh, Humphrey Bogart nods his assent, and the, the band starts playing the Marseille. And the music starts a fraction of a second before they put the instruments up to their lips. Oh, no. And that is the second flaw. That is, those are the two flaws in Casablanca. We're going to cut all this out, right? No, no, <laughs> no? I'm going to keep this in. This is yeah, great. That, that, is, that is how perfect a movie it is. Those are the only two flaws that I can think of in that movie. 
Wow. Do you think that, so you were in this analytical role as a film critic and then obviously as, you know, not a food critic. Again, that's Ian Frobe for yeah, our paper. Right. Uh, but certainly someone with a strong perspective, uh, I would say, when you were a food writer and a columnist. Yeah. Uh, and still have that strong perspective that you bring, you're bringing to the retail and business team. Cardinals column as perhaps that prime was, example. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 took off more than I had any thought that it was going to. I, I just thought I was writing a funny story about uh, how I didn't like being how I didn't like having to pay as much as I paid for Cardinals tickets. But do you <laughs> when think they played, that, when yeah. they played my Reds? <laughs> do you think that background being so analytical uh, and and having to have a strong opinion helps kind of the rest of your career, if that makes sense? Uh, having a strong voice, I hope, will help with the uh, columns. But, of course, you, I have to not use that voice in my reporting. Of course, yeah. But for the re columns, yeah, a, a lifetime of speaking with a certain authority uh, probably helps, sure. Yeah, and seeing kind of the world a little bit differently, you know. It's like when you, you're writing film criticism, you're looking at things that maybe a casual viewer uh, might not catch, or at least on the first or second pass of watching. You mean you film. didn't notice that the music starts a fraction of a second? I did <laughs> not, did? and oh. I have seen Casablanca. And the next, so. time, the next time you see it, it's going to bug you, though. Yeah, um, you just see the world a different way. Yeah, I do. I've always sort of seen the world a different way, <laughs> but uh, and that has helped me with with film criticism and writing about food. Um, probably less so about retail. Well, we will see. Okay. <laughs> Um, I guess or we talked about a couple of your upcoming stories. Is there anything else on the horizon, even if we're to talk about it uh, kind of vaguely or broadly, that you're excited to share with readers? There's a new uh, retail concept coming to St. Louis in, uh, in September, the middle of September. Uh, there'll be the third store by, owned by a, uh, a woman with a storied family background in St. Louis. She's coming back to town. Uh, and what I've seen in the store, I, I find, I think it's great because it's my taste. <laughs> so, nice. uh, so I'll go there if I can afford it. There's uh, uh, a story coming up, uh, I guess, Sunday uh, about a woman who invented these purses. She's, she's in Belleville. A purse where you can put a cell phone into a pocket on the outside of the purse. It's got a thin plastic cover and you can actually use the touch screen of the phone oh, oh, nice. through through the, the the plastic so your cell phone is always with you and your purse and it's always available yeah uh, for safety that seems that's where my mind goes it's safety it's you're not going to drop it but it's also you're walking down the street your phone rings you can just push the button and answer it you walk down the street you want to find out um you know what the average rainfall is in in Sudan. You you type that in <laughs> as one you, does. Yeah, as one does. Yeah, and you just type that right in. I don't nice. know that I need my phone more accessible to me, but I can see. I can totally see how that would be. Uh, that people would be younger nice than at the be, same time. People in their twenties want that. <laughs> well, no, I mean my phone is already always oh, okay. with me. I don't so. think there's any getting away from that. Uh, no, especially, <laughs> especially no, especially with what we do in yeah. terms of trying to always be connected and knowing what's going on. So you mentioned that a lot of the readers actually gave you some ideas for new coverage. How can people contact you about something they want to see covered? Well, I'm kind of old fashioned. So the best way is with a telegraph. <laughs> um, they can call me. My phone is 314-340-8133. That number again is 314-340-8133. <laughs> they can send me an email at, to dneeman at postdispatch.com. That would 
uh, involve knowing how to spell my last name and knowing that there's a hyphen between the uh, the post, the post and, the dispatch. and the dispatch. Yes, yeah. we'll put it on the um, in the description of the the podcast well, so people be can see it. Yeah, yeah. Show notes. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it has been a pleasure. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. Well, we'll have I, to. I stopped you with the ladies. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, guys. Good to see you. I just we saw were... you five minutes before we started this. So. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> we're hey, all in the same room, everybody. Any excuse to chat in person, you know, in our ever more disconnected world, <laughs> uh, I will welcome. It's very nice. Yeah. Well, with my new beat, I'm like closer to you guys, so we can, I can see you now. Yeah, but I, was, I was around the corner before, but yeah. <laughs> the newsroom kind of takes a, is L-shaped, and Dan yeah. used to be on the other side of the L from where Liz and I sit. So now we can actually see each other yeah. just from our desks. It's to very, explain to all of the, exciting, the yeah. listeners. Personally, it is exciting for me because I feel like now that there's been this like slow migration of more folks sitting over here, it's a little bit less lonely. There was a couple months, it seemed like, where it was pretty lonely <laughs> where we that's sat. so sad. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. More and more people are coming back to to businesses and to offices. And yes, it's and if we sound nice. if we sound fuzzy, all three of us are wearing masks. Well, <laughs> yes, but, yeah. I guess that's so also much. the new normal. So. <laughs> <laughs> At least for me. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.